Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is John Bowen. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Henry, for having me join you. It's our great pleasure to have John with us today, and you're going to soon find out why. He's a wealth of knowledge and experience and gracious enough to be on our show today and share some of that with us. Uh, John is a successful entrepreneur and the founder of four multi-million dollar businesses, including CEG Worldwide, and they're dedicated to helping financial advisors transform their practices into wealth management businesses. And AESNation.com is a, another venture that's got him pretty focused, and that's an ever-expanding mastermind community of like-minded entrepreneurs. Uh, John is widely recognized as a leader in the financial services industry. He currently coaches hundreds of top financial advisors to serve their affluent clients even more effectively and matches successful business owners with top financial advisors for second opinions. And we'll explain what, what he means by that. And of course, that'll be one of the focuses of today's episode is how does a small business owner build wealth? Uh, he's a podcaster and an author with more than 15 books to his name and is a regular columnist to the Huffington Post and Financial Planning. He's also the host of the Accelerating Entrepreneurial Success podcast. John also spent over 26 years of, as a financial advisor, and in that experience, he unlocked, unlocked the wealth-building secrets of successful entrepreneurial families. So there's a lot there that that he knows that we can learn from as small business owners. So that'll be the focus of this episode. We'll chat about John's entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he is today, and just advice in general on how to develop wealth through our small businesses. John lives in Northern California. And so once again, John Bowen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Henry. You know, it's it's uh, such a uh, privilege to be with you. And you know, one of the things we share is a passion for helping others to really build successful entrepreneurial uh, businesses. And you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing if we can make, you know, help them make a little bit bigger dent out there. That's right, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's what it's all about, and that's what you do. Despite being busy with all of your businesses, uh, you give back a lot, which is greatly appreciated. Um, so let's start uh, back during your education. You've got quite a bit of it, uh, and you've built it up over time, but you went to school initially and studied economics, if I have that right. Well, I did. Yeah, the undergraduate was in economics, and uh, you know, I've always been very interested in the economic side. Uh, got a little sidetracked. I was a pilot in the Navy for a while. I did listen to one of your podcasts. I heard that was an interest there, and and that led me to uh, once I got out to you know, I really found clearly I didn't want to be an airline pilot. Uh, the you know, they, they do let you have some fun with the planes in the Navy, but not as much when you're flying for airlines. So uh, came out to Northern California, Silicon Valley, before it was really called Silicon Valley, and to go to grad school and got the yeah, MBA and uh, master's in tax and a whole bunch of things because I really wanted to be able to serve my clients well. And what it really taught me 
was how little I knew, Henry. You know, I was <laughs> I was a lot smarter when I was 30 than I am at 61. <laughs> and but what it really did is you know tremendous exposure, and I've been blessed to have worked with some of the top. Uh, high-tech executives, as well as in the sports and entertainment side. And, and that's created a huge network of uh, solutions that we've been able to bring to the table. Yeah. So it seems like from very early on, you knew you wanted to go into this field of financial advising. Is that right? Or did you were you confused then? Or what, how clear was this path that you started on back in college? Well, you know, the, the one thing that was kind of interesting in uh, Henry, I got to give you credit on online here. I mentioned it beforehand. You are the most prepared guy, <laughs> and you know even my story, personal stories, and all this uh, in the outline. And I appreciate it. And, you know, really, where life changed for me was in college. You know, I was working on an economic uh, degree, econometric uh, at that time, and uh, I had grown up kind of a a uh, privileged kid in upstate New York. It wasn't a rich area, but uh, my father and uncle owned a cast iron foundry and we, they had uh, 400 employees. And so life was extremely good. And other than my father was grooming me to work there. So he felt that I had to have the worst job, you know, starting in a worst job in the uh, Foundry industry is, you know, they might spill, you know, uh, my first job literally was during the summer while they're pouring cast iron, they tend to spill it oh around the mold. I can picture that. I have seen that in the documentaries, you know. It's well, and, and I had a jackhammer oh and I am uh, jackhammering up the steel and then shoveling it into a barrel so it can be reclaimed. And you got to imagine that uh, I am the president's son, okay? <laughs> and the guys would actually try to pour the iron on me just for kicks. I mean, John, uh, this is so, the stuff that child labor laws were written around, right? Yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> so anyways, uh, in uh, my junior year in college, I get a call from my dad and I'm waiting for what's the summer job gonna be? And I'm hoping, you know, finally I'm now, you know, I've got a good, you know, educational background. I've worked my way up. I'm gonna get a air conditioned job. And he goes, uh, son, I've got some bad news. Uh, the foundry's going under. Your uncle is going to wrap it up uh, through bankruptcy. Uh, I need to go out and get a job. Uh, you're, uh, by the way, your mom and I have decided to get a divorce, and uh, you don't have a summer job. And I, I just, you know, I mean, it's, the shock is kind of amazing. And, and you know, I was really happy with the question I did ask. I go, Dad, you're going to be okay. And the response was just really set me on this journey of the financial services. I don't know. And, you know, and I'm, I'm going, Henry, how could this, what appeared to be a very successful entrepreneur, my, my dad and my uncle, all of a sudden have nothing? Uh, I had worked my way through college the rest of the way, too. And, uh, and it really was that they had gotten some bad advice. They, had, they were affluent, but they hadn't built up their personal wealth. Uh, what little they had, they had done in a poor way that they had no access to the money, the whole thing. So it was, you know, that really began my journey of wanting to not only take care of my family, but to make sure other entrepreneurial families, you know, never go through this. How old were you when this happened? I was 19. So at that point in time, did you think to yourself, I'm never going to be an entrepreneur because of look at what can happen or I'm... I maybe no, I, I I wanted to be an entrepreneur. You, did. you know, 
Yeah, I was a pretty competitive kind of guy, Henry, and my you know my dad and my uncle screwed up, but I'm going to figure it out mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. yeah. But you, you saw very early on that the issue was this poor advice they got, or at least you figured that out over time, and that's what you were going to set out to correct and help others avoid, including yourself. It really was, you know, and even um, you know the, the Navy part. I, I was doing economic work and you know beginning exploring this career path of doing it, and then, but I was enjoying tearing up the skies in Southern California. Uh, I was taking acrobatic lessons and wow. got a little sidetracked because the uh, Navy recruiters, not surprisingly, hang out there, <laughs> but. They said, you can do financial stuff for families and all that anytime. You'll go do this. And I did. But, you know, as soon as I was done, I came back because this is a passion. And, and it's one, you know, for the rest of my uh, professional career. And I, I've got a 25-year plan at 61 uh, that I'm going to continue making a huge impact in this area. Yeah, that's fantastic. And that's, I know you talk about and write about that. Dan, Dan Sullivan talks about that, about that, that broad or long-term window that we should have for ourselves. But going back and staying where we were, then you went on to a very successful, obviously, career, 26 or so years in the services, financial advising, I should say, industry. But I'm hoping you might share the story about when you got recognized as a top advisor in, in that moment in life and what that did for you. But really, in the early days of financial services, you know, in my career, it was commission driven. And I, I've always loved education, Henry, and I was teaching grad school investment theory and, and some tax and, you know, it's just uh, loving it. Uh, but it's a very difficult way to make any money, too. And, and I was very successful on the investment business, but I just hated the, the grind of the commission side and all this. And, and uh, my wife and I uh, were at the annual convention, a couple thousand advisors. We were with a large firm. And I didn't know. Uh, I, I mean, I was talking with my wife the, that morning over breakfast saying I might leave the industry and really just teach grad school uh, because I was kind of fed up with the whole thing. And and I uh, went ahead and, uh, you know, we're sitting and just, you know, it was a dinner at the evening and it was an award ceremony and they announced the number one advisor and it was me. And it was kind of like my wife looks at me and you know, we, we had been making, you know, obviously a fair amount of money and all that, but I was really miserable. So anyways, they call me up on stage. I can still remember Ed, who was CEO, and it, and it was one of the top 50 public companies owned this subsidiary. And so the CEO of that company's there and, you know, they go, John, tell them how it feels. Uh, to be number one, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, you know how in your mind before you're going to speak, you know, it starts rolling the reel and going to, uh, you know, I, how I feel right now is that if I'm number one and my life sucks, you know, what are you 2000 people out there? You know, <laughs> now, fortunately, my mom had taught me very well that if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it. So I just thanked, you know, the two CEOs there and as I was walking off, though, I, I really just it hit me that I had a huge opportunity. I had a great platform that I had built that I needed to redo my business. And, and um, one of the first calls I made was 
to uh, a book that I know you recommend too. Uh, you know, uh, Michael Gerber, the E Myth Revisited. Uh, Michael used to live near me, and we. So I call. I mean, this was before he was super successful, and Michael and I've stayed friends. I think he's uh, just turned eighty-five or somewhere in that range. But, you know, still going strong. And uh, I called Michael and I asked, you know, could he help me put the systems in place and really change, you know, how I did business? And he came down and we worked together and it made a huge difference. I hired a lot of the other consultants. And from that period on, over the next seven years, we grew at 70 percent per year. And and we were the largest advisor that was custodian at Schwab and and we ended up, uh, my partners were a little older. I was CEO uh, and we were getting great offers. I mean, we ended up selling the business for $25 million seven years later. So it was, you know, we had no value when I was on that stage and that focused energy and really working with talented individuals and helping us on the coaching and thinking it through, putting the systems in place to serve the clients well. I mean, you know, you and I both know capitalism works, you know, delivering value uh, to the right clients, you know, you can do exceptionally well. Yeah. So, John, what what kept you for those twenty five plus years up until that point where you were on that stage? What kept you there, and what kept you from making that move sooner? I, often, what happens when you're successful like that is you you kind of get captive to it, right? You're making good money, it feels good, you're delivering value. Why do you think that moment didn't happen sooner for you? Well, the the reason, so if I understand the question, uh, where I was, you know, I was in that kind of uh, situation where you're making a lot of money. Right. Uh, and and everybody, you know, all your buddies think you're unbelievably successful, had all the, you know, had the nice houses, cars, and all the play toys. And uh, it's a trap. Yeah. That, you know, and if I had gone and actually made that decision to go to grad school or teach grad school, I would have had to give up some of those play toys. And one of the things most of us do is we all go up gracefully. That going downside isn't good. So, you know, that I think one of the real challenges and probably the best thing that ever happened to me was selling the business. I didn't want to sell the business, Henry. I wanted to just keep on once we got the systems going and the business has grown. I mean, uh, it's actually for sale now for about $250 million. So, you know, it, it's continued to serve clients and it's doing a great job. I do some consulting for them. So yeah, the, the, one of the early interns is the CEO of the company and doing a phenomenal job. And, and so the, you know, the, the thought process is that I think really taking a step away, I had to do it through the business side. I was 45. I had plenty of liquidity. You know, I didn't need to work again. And I tried, I made a commitment that I wasn't going to work for a year. And I tried golf and, you know, all, I love skiing and a whole bunch of other passions. I love cars and, you know, playing, I lasted six months. And then my wife got tired of me dragging her around the world. And, uh, you know, she didn't want to have one more lunch with me was when we went over goals. And so, you know, that's when I started another business. And, and, and I think once you learn, and I know you're doing this too, and your, your partner is that once you learn business, you can do very well, you know, starting other businesses. But 
one of the things is if you can find your why, your purpose, like in my case, the financial services industry, everything I do is focused on helping, you know, either individual business owners, entrepreneurs be more successful and particularly the way we think of it is how can we help them build their personal wealth to have the flexibility of some, you know, life happens, something intrudes, or just funding the lifestyle that they want for the people they love, you know, the causes they care about. And then at the same time, I can magnify that by working with some of the top financial advisors really around the world. Yeah, no, it's great, and I completely agree. I think, you know, my perspective, and I, I suspect it's probably the same, but I'll ask you in a moment, is that I don't look at ever retiring. I want to continue to create and build things. Obviously, I want to adjust and give myself certain uh, freedoms, but I always want to be creating, going back to that, taking some time off. What's your philosophy on that? I know you have that 25-year plan, so I suspect it's similar. Well, it's, it's very similar, but, you know, the previous business that we had 400 employees, I had 400 employees. Right, right. You know, today I have no employees. I have global headquarters. I live in Silicon Valley at the south end. Uh, I own a bunch of land, a vineyard and all that kind of stuff. And global headquarters is a pool house at 1,600 square foot. There's no nobody else in it other than me and you here virtually. But the... Uh, you know, I have a great team. We've got multiple businesses all focused on doing really the same thing. Two key things, coaching top financial advisors and matching successful business owners with financial advisors or helping them. We're coming out with more things where they're educational, helping them really make smart decisions. But, you know, designing it, you know, one of the mistakes, and I think we do this a lot when we're younger is, you know, we're, we're just so charging that we don't decide to be successful on purpose. And what I mean by that is define what you want. I mean, before we got on, I just booked two ski trips, Uh, you know, just bought the tickets to fly out and, you know, getting together with friends and all that. And, and because it's raining like crazy here in California, that means there's a lot of snow up there. And so, so anyways, the, you know, you design your life so you have the flexibility to do these things. And, you know, and, and certainly, Henry, you could have a, you know, the big corporate job or I could. And, you know, we could be in New York. We could have the you know, hour and a half commute each day and have a miserable life, but get paid well. You don't. This is where each of us has to figure out what we want. And, and you know, Dan Sullivan uh, is a great friend, and I'm part. I'm in strategic coach as well for the last six years. Uh, a big believer in coaching. You know, I need coaching as well. And and the 25 year plan. I mean, I'm looking at growing. You know, just I got to every 90 days. Yeah, you know, I got to just make a one percent improvement. And it's you know both on the business and the life. I'm in business not for more business. I'm in business to support the quality of life for all stakeholders, my clients that I have the privilege of serving, you know, my teammates and my partners and myself and, you know, life is pretty good. Yeah, I love that. That that incremental approach is such a key takeaway, right? We tend to beat ourselves up with these arbitrary exterior goals and objectives that are put upon us by others, but it's just this incremental growth that it's really about. 
One of the things, uh, it's kind of interesting, I had a mentor, I started a mutual fund company at one time, and uh, uh, mentor uh, David Booth uh, of a company called Dimensional Fund Advisors, and I met him when they were at four and a half billion in uh, size, which is really small for a, a, a mutual fund company, and today they're approaching $500 billion. And one of the things that I was always impressed with David is, it was really the 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 thought that you just said, Henry, that he he was not driven by any means to be more successful in the, you know the kind of the classic sense. He was always driven to serve the clients and prepare the business to grow to support them. And you know, and it really you know he's a multi-billionaire now and uh, been very generous. He's uh, the Graduate School of Chicago where he came from. Uh, is now named. Uh, he gave three hundred million at the the worst March of two thousand nine when everything was down, and but you know it's it's you know it's this journey. You know some of us are going to pick businesses that are going to be unbelievably successful, but we don't know that he didn't know it, uh, and you just you can run with it. But it's that passion you have, the you know, purpose. It, passion's the wrong word. The purpose in life and building a business around that. You can really do well in today's world. Yeah, I agree. So I, I would love if we could dive a little bit deeper. You you talk about um, this whole approach and philosophy of becoming seriously wealthy, or at least increasing our wealth through a successful business by harnessing some of the strategies that the super rich apply to their business. So, in particular, I think you you break it down into six phases. I'm hoping maybe you could touch on one of those one or two of those phases that would apply to a small business owner like myself. Well, and, and one of the, this is where it's it's amazing. I mean, so many business owners are poorly served. I mean, we, we look at the the financial advisors, the attorneys, the accountants, and they're, they're we, most of them are unfortunately are what I'm going to call pretenders. They're, uh, they're well-intentioned, but they're not very knowledgeable in helping small businesses. And particularly as you have more success, you have so many opportunities. And one of the key, and the, the key things, uh, I think the secret, Henry, you know, and this is kind of be really basic, is pay yourself first. You know, so often as business owners, particularly if we're in a startup mode or we're moving along, uh, what we do is we get to keep whatever's left over. Well, very seldom, you know, if you're got a growing business, there's not a lot, a lot left over. And we really hurt ourselves not only on the current income, but the valuation in case we ever want to sell it or we, you know, we are in a position where we have to or an offer comes up a buyer that's a good strategic buyer. So one of the things I would really encourage everyone to do is pay themselves the right salary as if they were hiring someone, even if that's going to cause the business a loss, because what it does is it makes you really clear as you do your financials. And then second, recognize that you're the venture capitalist typically, unless you're, you know, you, you're getting outside funding. And if you're putting the capital in, it's not, you, you've got to have, you pay yourself for the two parts. One, you know, the salary and the second, the venture. And you can look at kind of what are the returns from your industry. And when you start putting that discipline in, what happens is you're going to be surprised you're going to be making much better decisions, and that's going to allow you to accumulate wealth outside of your business. And that's just so critical that, you know, the fund, 
you know, in case nobody gets out of life unscarred, you know, stuff happens. I don't know, Henry, if you've ever had this. I mean, I've had some pretty dark moments along, you know, a phenomenal journey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having that flexibility with personal wealth is so important. Plus, you know, you can, as you accumulate, you know, in today's world, I've got a fair amount of capital that I, I have, I make much better business decisions because I'm in total control. I mean, I, you know, if I shut all the businesses down and didn't sell them even, you know, life would be fine. Yeah. And, and having that flexibility is so important. But staying on this topic of pay yourself first, because obviously, I think for most of our listeners, certainly for me, it, we've, we've heard this before, but here's where I've had challenges with it, John, that I need your guidance on. First is, what if I'm in a business where it's just not making that much money? And like you said, I could operate it in the red for some period of time, but only for so long. Is that a test of whether I may need to shut down this business and move on to something else? Is that is that kind of how you use it as well? I mean, at some point, you can continue to pay yourself in the red, but you can't sustain that for very long if the business just isn't producing enough cash. Well, and and the reality is it, it can be an accounting thing because you know you're paying yourself and then you're at the same time making capital contributions. But what I want is the really the discussion we're having, Henry. I wanna I don't want to kid myself um, that it's not a business that's not going to support the lifestyle that I need. And I'm not talking about making huge amounts of money or anything here, but you know, what would, you know, to replace you, because what, what we find so many small business owners have is they're, they've really, they don't have a business. They have a job. They right. own the job. A poor paying job. That. Yeah. And they wouldn't take the job if they were offered it. That's right. But, and so, you know, I'm in Silicon Valley. One of the big things here is fail fast. And what, what I'm, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you just give up on the idea. You know, the marketplace is just so, so good at telling you what's working. And if it's not working, okay, then what do you do? You got to make some adjustments. And this is where, I mean, one of the, you know, listening to podcasts like yours, you know, hiring coaches, getting that outside position that, you know, what and what I love to do is, I'm a big believer in looking at somebody that's gone and done the path before me because, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You've got to be able to execute, implement, and boy, if it's not working, then make a change. Right. Yeah. And it, but it's hard, right, John? Because it, absolutely, you want to fail fast. But when you feel like you've invested uh, everything you have, and, and a lot of people will do that starting out with a small business, they've mortgaged their home, they've tapped in their 401k, whatever the situation must, might be, they feel like I, I just got to keep trying, right? And that's where they just get deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Well, let me give you an example of 2008, 2009, major financial service downturn. My business dropped 45% of income. The Friday before Lehman Brothers went under, I was there on a crisis coaching program. I never got paid for. And then uh, I was across the street, Smith Barney. We we ended up coaching their top 100 advisors. And, and then all of a sudden, all corporate business stopped. And that's really what I'd been doing. And I decided that I needed to, you know, it was a time that the financial advisors we had the privilege of working with needed us, but we couldn't reach them. And I'd never had a database and all that. So I went and found some of the online experts, began working with them. And I, I put this first campaign out and I spent $85,000, you know, putting everything in place. 
and launched it to the financial advisors with all this uh, really uh, fanfare and uh, made $17,000. And, you know, to say I was disappointed and, you know, and I I had enough wealth that it was okay, but it still felt awful. And, And one of the things I could have done is kept on trying. Well, I stopped. And what I did is, could I take that content and redo it? And we ended up uh, making millions of dollars working with the corporate clients. You know, the marketplace told me it's not going to do it that way. I've ended up finding out in the financial advisor market that I can sell $24,000 a year programs, but I can't sell $5,000. And, you know, yeah, and but it was that journey that led me to that. So I did fail, but it, you know I stayed with my purpose, and that's what I'm talking about, Henry. And it, so, you know, it's not the the you giving up, but it's like okay, let's take a step back, and we know there's value here. Let's find you know some people that we really value their opinion. And one of the best opinions is the marketplace. You know, people who write checks to you are the ones that that's count. Right. That's right. And so you want to. Uh, Yeah. So persistency is focus and persistence. Making simple and elegant what you do is so important and not giving up. But what but that doesn't mean that you don't pivot along the way. Exactly. Very well put. I understand completely what you're saying. So uh, the other concept that's challenging, I think, for small business owners is and you've touched it already paying yourself first and looking at it as from a capital investor perspective, it's getting that cash, that money out of the business and deploying it elsewhere. But we're challenged because a lot of what we get taught in here is, oh, you got to reinvest your profits and and keep growing. And there's a disconnect there. How do you look at that? And what's the guidance that you give people just generally about either leaving all my money in my business or taking it out so that I can redistribute that. So if you're in a, a small business right now, you know one of the things you've got to make a decision of is, are you going to be a lifestyle boutique or build an enterprise? And I mean, there's there's middle ground, but I'm going to keep it the extreme. To me, a lifestyle boutique is sim- a simple business where you typically don't have partners. You are the owner. And uh, you know today, there I believe the number is somewhere around 27 million businesses in the US, 18 are solopreneurs, they're lifestyle boutiques. Okay, they're they're in many cases they're just really jobs, but they they that's a conscious decision and it's not wrong. I mean, we teach this to financial advisors as well as business owners. You don't have to build great big businesses, but you have to build a business that's going to support the quality of life for yourself and your enlightened self-interest and the stakeholders. But so make that conscious decision. We have, I've, I've always been wired to do more enterprises. Sometimes I wish I wasn't because, you know, a lot of times it's more profitable doing the uh, lifestyle boutiques. And then what you want to do on the lifestyle boutique is really, you know, you don't need to, you know, bigger isn't necessarily better. You don't invest a lot of capital. You don't have to for many of these businesses. You know, we were talking about car washes before. I mean, that's going to take certain capital. Online marketing, you know, a few thousand dollars is all you really need. You don't need heavy equipment. And yeah, there's always that new shiny item that you can do, the new camera or all that. But you pay, paying yourself first, 
getting that money out on a tax favor basis. You know, number one is making smart decisions about the money that per, building that personal wealth, paying yourself first. Number two, we find is mitigating taxes. As business owners, we have so many tax advantage ways of getting money out. And particularly as we have success, we can really do a lot of things. And, you know, now with a new, uh, uh, administration that we have, uh, it's likely we're going to have even more opportunities to do this. So I just want to encourage people to, you know, not get caught up in growth. Yeah. Scale up once you have something working really well, then you go, okay, should you know, prove concept to me a minimum. I used to do investment banking and VC stuff. And, you know, you got to have proof of concept as a minimum of a million a year systems, repetitive. So it works. And then then you have a business decision. Do you want to scale it up? And then ask yourself, do you really want to? Are you the right one? And then if so, you know, should you do it with your own capital or with someone else's? Yeah, great, great advice, John. So you touched on something that's key, of course, to all of this is mitigating taxes, getting the advice on that. My question to you is, as I was doing the research, and, and I've obviously discussed these topics before with others, do you think there are the right types of advisors, the advisors that the larger businesses, the super rich have access to, do you think we have access to those people as small business owners? Well, I got to tell you previously, no, because we've, we've done some major studies, you know, thousands of business owners. And this is one of the reasons why we, we created the matching service. And I'm now doing training on what's called advanced pointing to our financial uh, clients, where in the past, really, what we did is we taught them exactly the experience uh, that, you know, the world-class client experience for business owners, you know, how to deliver it, and then how to attract new clients. One of the things I've always been is agnostic on the technical, kind of the tax in those areas, because I felt that the industry was providing it. But what we found when we surveyed business owners, we found that 85% of the business owners were really dissatisfied um, with the advice they were receiving on mitigating taxes, taking care of their heirs, protecting their assets from litigation and divorce. I mean, it's a big issue. And then charitable. We find that 70% of the people, particularly as they're having more success, want not only want to take care of the people they love, but to you know, really make an impact on the charitable side. Well, the, the problem is that so few of the advisors were knowledgeable. So one of the, my partner in this, Russ Allen Prince, who's written 50 books, and he's got a column in Forbes, Russ, and Russ focuses only on working with the super rich, people with 500 million or more family offices, billionaires, and so on. Russ and I have teamed uh, because what we see is there's a missing element here. And this is part of the reasons why we started AES Nation. And you're going to be seeing more and more things that we're doing, Henry, in the space to bring this information out because the super rich have had, you know, they they have un, almost unlimited resources compared to us and most of the small businesses. And they have access to talent that we don't. Well, in today's technology world, what we're doing is just bringing it down because you know, it, you can really make this available to successful business owners. And, and we're doing work, there'll be a new book we're coming out with this summer called Becoming Seriously Wealthy, how to harness the strategies of the super rich and the ultra wealthy business owners. And, you know, we're sharing the nine most common strategies that they're using. And for many, you know, once you start getting discretionary cash flow, 
in your business, the ability to accumulate wealth, particularly if you do it on a tax advantage basis, is just huge. Yeah, it's fantastic. And most of us as small business owners, even those who have some success, we might have a CPA that we talk to at the end of the year to do our taxes. We might call them for an accounting advice tip here or there. We, we have an attorney if we get in trouble, but we don't typically have an advisor, a financial advisor. And again, it's because often we've had either poor experiences or we don't think those people are interested or available to us. Where should someone start, someone like myself that is a small business owner, where should I start in getting that help or at least figuring out how to ask the right questions to qualify someone that's a good fit for me? Well, and I, well I'm going to take one step back just real quick on sure. a comment you made. And in, in the book, we, we identified nine strategies and we went out and surveyed 800 financial advisors, but we've also surveyed the private client lawyer, the estate and tax attorneys, as well as the accountants. And I got to tell you, most of them are knowledgeable about this stuff. They'll tell us they're knowledgeable. But when we asked them, had they ever worked with a single client, business owner client, uh, the percentage that have were in all but one case of the nine were single digits. So they're just not doing this why, stuff. Why is that, John? Because, well, in, in the case of financial advisors, really, they make their money managing your money. And the, you know, it's, it's kind of a value added service the way it's been positioned. So it's been so easy to make money as a financial advisor. Most are not being proactive in this. The smart ones are because what's happening is investments are becoming commoditized with the robo advisors and all the technology and everything else. It's not that a good advisor can't add value. Uh, but it's you know, a few basis points, you know, hundreds of percent of value. But where they can really, for business owners, if I can help you, you know, mitigate your taxes uh, and, and accumulate wealth and become seriously wealthy, you know, over a long period of time, build a personal wealth uh, of 20 million or more outside, you know, you have so much flexibility. So that's really what we're looking to do. But coming to your question, uh, Henry, what one of the things I would encourage is you're, you're looking for you know wealth managers. We call them elite wealth managers who work with business owners. You know, you know they've got to have the technical competence so that, that they can tell you that they've worked with them and they're working in what we call advanced planning, you know, mitigating taxes, taking care of the heirs, protecting the assets, litigation, divorce, and charitable. And what we're looking for there is you want to do a second opinion because you don't want to start working with them until you really see what they're doing. And, and they should take a look at where you are, where you want to go, how their current providers are doing. And if your current providers are doing a good job, they should be able to tell you, hey, stay with them. And if not, they should explore whether they're the right ones. And they should only work with you if they can make a big impact. And they should be able to communicate that. If you, they're not the right one or uh, you know, your current providers aren't, they should be able to point you to the right direction. And when we did, we just did a survey of a little over 300 business owners and we asked them, have you ever gotten a second opinion in the last 12 months for health reasons? And 41% had, and the supermajority said it was really valuable doing it. When we asked on the personal financial situation, Henry, it was only 11%. That's amazing. But what was really interesting, 89% of that, 11% said the second opinion was invaluable on the financial side. So I'm going to just really encourage, you know, you can go to your professionals that you're working with. If you think they're helping you proactively, 15% of you in our surveys say you are, they are. And if they are, you know, 
update. And this is something where you've got to push it, much like the medical side. You've got to take your own responsibility on this. Uh, on our website, AES Nation, we're just putting, uh, you know, so you'll be able to get second opinions there. Uh, and it, it, and we'll do the introductions as well. This is, this is something that we have to, you know, collectively as business owners, we have to, much like we have to take responsibility for our health. If you want to be personally wealthy and build that wealth outside of your business, you've got to be proactive. And the second opinion is one of the best ways of checking that you're making sure you're on track. Yeah, such a great takeaway. That's such a great way to put it. And when we look at it that way, we ask, we then say, okay, that, that makes perfect sense. I think we have with with our CPAs and our attorneys, but we're talking about here mostly what we're doing maybe with our CPAs, we kind of take it as well if, if he or she, I trust her, so she must be right or he must be right. And they don't, they think that's a gray area or whatever. And so we don't, we just assume that it's the gospel and we move forward, right? And we don't revisit it with anybody. And it's, well, when you put it in that context, it makes perfect sense that we Well, they're, they're, they're compliance people. That's and, right. You know, we don't want to hire overly creative, uh, you know, accounts. They go to jail type thing. That's right. That's so, right. you know, this is where having financial advisors, we don't want overly creative, but we want proven so that there, you know, nothing that, uh, you know, crosses the line. So it's very clear, no gray area. But so much of this is all proven, you know, in the super wealthy uh, or super rich business owners. Uh, and you you know, the cases are there so we can do this stuff and uh, really accumulate wealth. Yeah, great point. All right, I'd like to take a more personal turn again if I could. And I'd like to ask you, if you think about in your life, can you think of a decision that you made at some point in your life that has ended up having significant positive impact on your life and or on your business? Is there a decision you can think of that you made at some point in your life? Well, a lot of them, <laughs> and you know, this is what so often, you know, as you, you, you know, when you've been an entrepreneur all your life, I mean, there's so many points in your life that you made a decision that, you know, with tremendous trepidation. And uh, I'm just trying to think what would be a, a great example. I mean, you know, one, when my partners, I had two partners and we, we ended up selling our business. Uh, you know, my only, they really wanted to cash out. I didn't, uh, we were getting great offers and I said, okay, I will go ahead and I will agree because they wanted me to stay along the way, but I get to make the final decision of who we go with. And, and I was very selective on who we would go with. And it ended up not being the, uh, you know, the absolute top price, you know, terms and conditions, but it was, you know, it was competitive and it was going to serve our clients well. So I knew they were in really good hands and it gave me the opportunity to move on uh, and work with them. I ended up heading up their sports and entertainment and had 600 ultra wealthy clients to work with. And, you know, probably about 500 of them, your listeners would know the names of. And, and I saw how poorly they were served. And this is, you know, you're going to be at these crossroads so often. And, you know, I don't know if I made the right decision or not. You never will. But by doing that and exposing yourself to being uncomfortable and taking some risk, uh, what opportunities open up? Right. Exactly. Love that. You talk a lot also about uh, conscious competence and moving into conscious competence. I, I've always loved that philosophy and focus. Talk to us, if you would, about that and how you've used that. 
Well, I think this is when I look back in my young years, I always call myself unconsciously competent. You know, I went out and got all the education, you know, by any standard, you know, from an academic perspective. I mean, I'm teaching grad school at some of the top schools in the nation. Um, you know, I, I'm competent. Well, how come it wasn't working then? <laughs> so, and I was in an industry, financial services, that you get rewarded disproportionately. I was in Silicon Valley, so there was an explosion of wealth going on. So I was successful. It would have been very easy to make, you know, believe that I was, you know, uh, hugely successful. And it goes back to kind of that award where I got the gold Rolex watch, you know, and thinking I'm going to quit. The industry, and and when I made that decision to become consciously competent, if you think about it, when you start in any business, you're it's simple, but you're ignorant, and then as you move to the next step, you start understanding everything. It gets really complicated, and you kind of you know, muddle through the fog, and then if you're really going to be successful, you you get on the right side of complexity that that it becomes simple again. And, and that's where, you know, that conscious competence comes in, being successful on purpose, being focused, simple and elegant. And that's really all of us as entrepreneurs need to work toward that because, it, you know, it's so easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to overwhelm our clients, our teammates and so on. The more we can get focused and make it simple and elegant and get on that right side of complexity, and that's, that's really how I think of conscious uh, competency. Yeah, I love that. John, what do you love most about what you do today? You know, I just, you know, I get to run. I, I'm sitting here, you know, I've got uh, in my global headquarters of Pool House, and I, you know, running these great businesses. I get to work with unbelievably talented people. I get to, uh, you know, have conversations you know with you know really talented people like yourself henry and we get to make a difference and then i will today you know get probably two or three emails from clients just telling me how uh their life is changed. i mean i was at a conference or a small meeting last week and this woman runs up to me and gives me a big hug and you know how you i don't recognize her and i'm going through kind of the rolodex in my mind and like <laughs> who is she and She's telling me I've, she was a, uh, previously a financial advisor, made millions of dollars, sold her business, and now in another industry. And it's just, you know, having that. And, you know, actually, we're on Skype, so I'm getting notices. And, you know, some of my friends, Peter Diamandis just went on. You know, the ability to work with some of the most talented people in the world, this is great. And, you, you know, and I'm hanging out at my pool house. Yeah. yeah so, I mean. Life is good. Yeah, you get to make it, you know, make that. I always like Steve Jobs, you know, let's go make that small den in the universe. That's yeah. what his goal was. And, you know, all of us are going to make little different dents, but I really feel that I get that privilege and I'm on this journey for the next 25 years and then I'm going to figure out something else. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. All right, let's talk about uh, books. You mentioned The E-Myth, which is one of our common favorites. Uh, but if you think of a book that you would recommend and I'm thinking maybe the one of your latest is a good fit, but tell me what you would recommend to our audience. Well, one of the things that when I started seeing so many of the entrepreneurs being poorly served, I, I spent over 100000 a year in mastermind groups. I just get so much value hanging out with really talented people. And what I was getting asked so often that, um, 
these John, you know, they would find out I'm, I work in the financial services. I have the privilege of coaching some of the top wealth managers around the world. Could I get introductions? Cause I'm being poorly served. And, and I approached uh, Dan Sullivan of strategic coach, who's a good friend. And I'm a client of his business, Joe Polish of genius network. He's got a mastermind group of uh, unbelievably talented entrepreneurs and with kind of a marketing uh, bend. And I asked Joe and Dan if they'd work with me and, you know, do a large survey of business owners. So we studied 3,500 of your peers, Henry and mine, and uh, just all kinds of insights that we can't cover in this short, you know, time together. But we, right. we ended up writing it up, the three of us, as the state of the entrepreneur. And just, uh, it's a available at aesnation.com. It's a free download. And it's a great book. It, it just walks through you know, how uh, business owners are building their businesses successfully and their personal wealth. We also have a scorecard there on maximizing your personal wealth that you can kind of take a look at whether you should get a second opinion. And both of these are available on the home. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. I think it's a good read. I think it's a must read for any entrepreneur listening. So if you didn't get that, we'll have links to the the, where to get the book on the show notes page for this episode. Great. Thanks for those recommendations or for that recommendation, I should say, John. John, as we wrap it up, final thought, final parting piece of advice for our listeners. Well, I, I got to say, Henry, you, know, you and I, uh, uh, you know, we are privileged. Everybody listening to this privilege. We're living in a world of abundance right now. Technology allows us so much flexibility and the ability to design our life, including our business to support the quality of life have has never been better. You know, so when you get frustrated and you will, nobody gets out of certainly life being unscarred, but as an entrepreneur, you're going to have a few more scars, a little bit of persistency, but get help from your friends. You know, it, it's going to make a huge difference. When I say friends, this is one of the reasons why I'm in a mastermind group. This is why I have multiple coaches uh, for really everything I want to be good at. I have a coach and it makes a huge difference. So I just encourage, don't give up, enjoy the ride and go out and make a difference. Excellent. And once again, John, Woodward, where would you like our listeners to go to find out more about you and your businesses? For business owners, AESNation.com is going to be the best place if, if you're a financial advisor, CEG Worldwide. And, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, help make a difference with you, Henry. My pleasure, John. John, it's been my privilege having you on our show. Thanks for taking the time, for sharing your knowledge and your stories and your insights. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.